You're listening to City Church Long Beach Sermons. Visit us at citychurchlongbeach.org. So hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Donna, and I am a pastor intern here at City Church Long Beach. And today I'm going to be preaching with Brenna Rubio, who's the co-pastor here at City Church Long Beach, on the Book of James. So last week, Brenna and Bill started us in a new series on the Book of James. And the first thing that pops up for me when I think of that last sermon is the term theology bros. I was thinking so much about how all the theologies, all the theology bros in my life that I forgot to think about how I had been a theology bro or better a theology bra girl for a good portion of my life. A good example is when I was 18, I started uh, to take my faith seriously. And when I started to take my faith seriously, I created a blog and started writing my opinions and thoughts, drawing from very popular pastors and theologians. I would get that sound theology stamp of approval from mainly white conservative Christian men. And that's how I knew I was doing the right thing and saying the right things. I felt very safe and in control knowing everything about God and correcting those who didn't know everything about God. My approach was especially great for my relationships in and outside the church. And that's a joke. The problem with my faith at the time is that I was missing the point. I made my faith about correct beliefs or orthodoxy, as we were pointed out to last week, and not about putting any focus on practical application or orthopraxy. So last week, Brenna prefaced for a lot of us this book of James. Um, it's going to maybe bring up some triggers if we especially grew up in the church and often had theology bros use James as a weapon to judge or condone someone for incorrect beliefs. Um, but as Brenna and Bill pointed out, James is not trying to be a theology bro. He's trying to offer practical wisdom on how to be in community with one another. But we're probably going to get a little triggered by a few words, especially for those who, you know, have had a history in the church. So hopefully as we are moving through James, we will address some of those triggers for you. So without further ado, our wonderful congregant Celeste Yamas is going to go ahead and read scripture for us today. So Celeste, when you're ready, you can go ahead and uh, unmute yourself. My dear siblings, Take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accepted the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues 
deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. People of God, this is the word of God. Praise be to God. Thank you so much. That was awesome. You know, for me, as we start diving in to this particular passage in James, it's within the first two verses that I hit one of those points where it's just trigger. And the trigger word for me is always anger. When anger comes up in a passage, there's just something about it that just makes me just just stop. And man, I want to figure that out. So in thinking about that word, I want to start with a story this morning, a Jesus story. So there was this time that Jesus was going into the synagogue. On a regular morning, he goes into the synagogue. And the synagogue is a place that is full of all sorts of people that are like our former Donna. Donna sharing herself at 18 when she, she knew all the right answers and she loved sharing them with other people. The synagogue is full of little Donnas and little Donalds, right? All of these people with all the right answers, all the ways they wanted to tell people exactly how to live. And so Jesus goes into this place and it turns out all the little Donnas and the little Donalds are watching him because they're not really happy about the ministry that he's been having and the influence he's, he's gaining. And, and they're just not sure about this, this new young rabbi. And so they're watching him because they want to catch him in a mistake. And what they know is that there is a man there in the synagogue who has a withered hand. And they think that Jesus is going to be really tempted to do the wrong thing because it's the Sabbath. And on the Sabbath, by the letter of the law, Jesus is not supposed to heal the man who has a withered hand. And so they're watching because just something in them knows that Jesus, he's going to want to do the wrong thing and heal the man with a withered hand. And so Jesus he challenges them. I mean, he, he knows what's going on in their head and in their hearts. And he says, okay, that's the letter of the law, but, but the heart of the law, don't you think the Sabbath is about restoration? Don't you think the Sabbath is about healing, about giving life back, even, even to a man's hand? Isn't, isn't it the heart of the law that matters so much more? And they stay silent. And what it says is in Mark 3, 5, which Kevin is going to put in the chat for us, is that Jesus looked around at them in anger because he was deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. So again, let's, let's look at that word anger. Now in the first couple of verses in James, where James is saying, he's talking about human anger, which immediately to me says, there are some different kinds of anger available, right? There's a kind that we as humans tend to, but then maybe, maybe there's also a Jesus kind. And how do we tell the difference between these, these two kinds of anger? The human anger leads us away from the kind of righteousness that God desires, is what it says in James righteousness, an actual rightness, a rightness in relationship. The last few months we've been talking about it as the word shalom, 
this idea that God is going to actually make things right. When we see Jesus getting angry here in this the story we just talked through, he's angry because of his compassion. God's anger is always on the side of justice. It's on the side of mercy. And what sparks it is that Jesus actually takes the time to notice. He's not so focused on the rules that he can't actually see. There's a person right in front of me who's hurt, who's struggling. I'm going to take the time to notice. I'm going to take the time to listen. So when we get angry, are we doing it in the way that's like the Jesus kind of way? I know a lot of people who are angry right now. I don't know about you. There's been a lot of anger in my social media feed this week. There's been anger when I've talked with friends. And a lot of it has been around this justice kind of stuff. It's been around Black Lives Matter. It's been around Breonna Taylor. It's been around this like sense of, are we taking care of people? Are we seeing people? Are we seeing their struggles? Is anyone seeing my struggles? What if that's actually the Jesus kind of anger? Because it's noticing, it's listening, it's paying attention. Human anger, that's the kind James is talking about. It's slow to listen, and it's quick to speak, especially when we're speaking up in our own defense, thinking about our own comfort, our own needs, our own privileges. But then there's the Jesus kind. James is, what I hear him saying here is, man, you want to walk in the way of Jesus, you're going to have to flip the order. You're going to have to learn to be slow to speak and quick to listen, quick to notice, quick to care. Thanks, Brenna. So in verse 21, it says, humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Now the word word here or logos has been interpreted to mean a number of things with really good reasons. I'll highlight a few. So some people translate word here as Jesus because of the phrase, the word became flesh in John 1:14. Others translate it as the spirit or the Bible. And I actually was doing a little bit of research and listening to Jewish voices. Um, I think it's actually talking about Torah observance. So basically what that means is James is talking to a Jewish Christian crowd, most likely spread across Rome, or they're also called diaspora Jews. And he's saying, look, if you really observe the Torah, or if you are a really good Jew, then you're going to put the Torah into action. Now, there's a lot of reason to believe that James sees Jesus as fulfilling the Torah or law with the new commandments, love your God and love your neighbor as yourself. We see this later in James 2.8, which we won't, you know, we'll get to in later weeks, when he says, if you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. So then if we look at verse 22 in James, do not merely listen to the word, do what it says. I think it's challenging us to actually do something about listening. Going back to my story about 19-year-old theology bro Donna, there was a shift in my faith occurring. I was going to a conservative church at the time that didn't allow women to preach, be pastors, or lead small groups. 
all while I was leading a small group and on leadership with my campus ministry. This space that denied my callings and gifts forced me to start listening. It first started with listening to myself. Something felt off, something wasn't right. It then caused me to pause my blog and start reading, watching and learning from others. These people or these women I started listening to uh, included Rachel Held Evans, Sarah Bessie, Jen Hatmaker. And as Brenna pointed out, without these other voices outside of our echo chambers, we might start to amplify our personal religiosity that doesn't really align with the heart of God. This act of listening led me to consider leaving and denouncing spaces that wouldn't accept my true self in Christ. So being a doer of listening led me away from spaces that weren't very good at listening into spaces that were a lot better at it by putting it into practice. Strangely and sadly, um, I found that these spaces exist mostly outside of the church, at least at, the point, at that point in time. And so these places existed in my college classes, my close non-Christian friends, therapy. And in a lot of ways, I learned how to be a Christian best from the people who did not identify as Christian. So church, how did we become so bad at this practical relationship and community building tools such as listening? Man, that feels like such a big question. And I bet lots of us have different ideas and maybe pieces of that story, how it is the church got so bad. One of the things that I notice in James here, though, is that it doesn't appear to be a new story. Like 2,000 years ago in the book of James, he's still noticing this about his own community of faith. That's why in verse 26, it says, those who consider themselves religious and yet don't keep a tight rein on their tongues to seat themselves and their religion is worthless. Ah, there's something even about this phrase, one, that we probably, many of us have experienced people in our lives like this, that, that we can tell they have a deep faith and yet we don't experience them as people who are deeply loving. And then there's the, ah, uh, of wondering, do I do that at times? Do people experience me that way at times? And what if this is a temptation for all of us? Here's the crazy thing, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell a really controversial Jesus story this morning, because we're gonna look at a story where it seems like Jesus himself came really close to missing the point where Jesus himself was so determined, so fixated on doing the right thing of following what he believed his mission at the moment to be that he almost missed the point, almost missed an opportunity to love someone well. And it's a story that's known as the Canaanite woman. It's found in Matthew 15, really at, at just the midpoint of the book of Matthew, midpoint in so many different ways. Because you see, Jesus, at this point, he's, he's been working for a while. He's been on mission. He's been out there doing his ministry. He's been gathering people. He's been preaching. He's been raising a lot of questions for people with this, this message 
about God, about the kingdom of God, about a new way of living in the world. But the thing is, up until this point in the story, Jesus has very clearly recognized his mission as being to the Jewish people. Huge focus on that. That is where his energy goes, is towards the Jewish people and calling them back to God. And so now he's in the midst of his ministry. He's on his way. He's actively moving from one place to another. And a woman comes who is very much outside of that understanding of his mission. She's a Canaanite. There are all sorts of historic divisions between the Jews and the Canaanites. Just a, a deep, deep sense of division, even revulsion between the two people groups. So she's a Canaanite. She's a woman. She apparently has a daughter who's not just ill, but demon-possessed. All of these things that put her very much on the other side culturally, very much on the outskirts. And she comes asking Jesus for mercy. And Jesus doesn't respond at first in the way that we might actually expect. He ignores her at first. And then finally, he says, you know, you're really not my focus right now. And then this is a controversial story. It, it, it's complicated. There are all sorts of theories. How do we understand the way Jesus initially reacts to her? How do we understand and interpret some of the words that he uses? But here's what I actually want us to focus on this morning. Here is what I want us to hear, is that this woman persists. She comes back and, and she responds to him. And she is actually yelling at him in the streets, yelling at the rabbi, saying, She's not even really disagreeing with him. She's not saying, you're wrong about your mission. She's just saying, I matter too. My, my daughter, she matters too. A little mercy in our direction as well. She challenges Jesus. And Jesus, with all of his relative to her power, authority, privilege, he doesn't just write her off. He actually stops and he listens and he changes his mind. He says, yeah, I was going in that direction because that was my, that's my mission. But you, he looks at her and says, your faith is great. You have great faith. And so I grant your request, your daughter, She's healed. He actually stops. He almost missed it, but he didn't. He let this woman of little importance in so many people's eyes change his mind. He hears her. And I wonder if there isn't a word of healing in that for so many of us this morning. Because maybe you've been in situations where you have felt not heard. You have felt not seen. But this Jesus, and he would stop for you. He would listen. He would even learn from you. It didn't just change Jesus in that moment, 
where he was going this way and he decided to pause and, and love the woman in front of him, it actually seems to have an effect on his entire future ministry. Because this is the shift in the book of Matthew where Jesus' mission starts to expand and to include so many people who are not Jewish. This one woman, her voice, and Jesus listening. What if we're called to listen like that? I heard this great story this week, a friend of mine talking about being in a work meeting uh, and he was, uh, he was leading the meeting and all of a sudden there was this person in the meeting who, who basically just said, I don't like this, I'm out. Not particularly professional, right? It, it was not a particularly like high moment probably for this individual in the meeting. And, and my friend maybe could have just kind of like, man, I'm gonna write you up for that, right? Like I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna pull the power card. Like that, was, that wasn't cool, you know? Um, he was reflecting on it with me later and he was like, man, there's a temptation. And it was really hard, but I feel really good about what I did instead because I reached out to him afterwards and kind of said, hey, I wonder what I missed. It seems like maybe I missed something, you know, and I would actually, I'm open to learning from you. Um, maybe you could tell me a little bit about what was upsetting about that article, you know, that I was uh, bringing for us to discuss. And, you know, there, there's just this openness, right? Like, I could let you change me. I could let you teach me, even though, you know, on kind of the scale of things, you're sort of, you know, I'm, I'm in charge. But I want to be open. And, and what if we were open? What if we were open to learning? from people who are sort of under our charge or the people who we live with? What if we believed they might have something to teach us? Or, or what if we just believe that, man, in those times when people aren't making sense to us, maybe there's just something we need to know about who they are. You know, what ended up happening in this particular case is that the person had experienced a loss that week, you know, a, a real loss in their life. There was, it, it probably wasn't so much about the article, right? It was, it was about something going on inside. And, and to not have just kind of taken the power card, but to have reached out to listen, just created this opportunity for a human moment. Are we, are we looking for those? Are we open? Are we willing to listen and let it change us? Don, I bet you have some great, great thoughts about that. Yeah, I think... That was really good, Brenna, just that bit about changing our mind. I think that maybe for some of us too, um, one of the biggest fears that refrains us from becoming good listeners is the fear that listening will change our mind. And I think uh, the bigger fear is that if how that changing of our mind will negatively impact us. So the first part of my journey started um, by listening to myself, right? How I felt in spaces that did not embrace who God created me to be, my true self. This led to listening to others and eventually it led to greater costs. It led to me changing my mind about race and becoming affirming of my queer friends, which also led to one of the hardest moments in my spiritual journey and in my uh, ministry. And that was, um, I was all set to go to seminary at a school here on the West Coast. Unfortunately, I needed to stay on the West Coast. I couldn't go to the cool schools on the East Coast. And um, 
So, but when I read the fine lines of the contract that said that my LGBTQIA friends could not be their full selves or even apply to this school and be their full selves, um, I had a flashback to when I couldn't lead in the church for being a woman. And suddenly everything was full circle. Um, and the whole bit that Jesus says about taking up your cross and following him sat with me much differently and much deeper. Um, in that moment, which was one of the hardest decisions of my life, I chose not to go to se seminary um, out of my convictions. And in that moment, with many tears, I felt a strong, peaceful presence say, she's ready. And usually when you hear those words, she's ready or he's ready or they're ready, um, when you abide by theology, you hear those words when you abide by, abide by theology bro terms and attend seminary. But in my case, I was ready to be a pastor and do ministry when I chose not to go to seminary. When I decided to denounce my theology bro girl ways or my false self. So I wanted to close by giving us a challenge, um, a challenge to practice and grow in active listening so that we as a community can be better and do better towards one another. So I'm going to have uh, in the chat here some active listening strategies, and there's gonna be a link to this active listening strategies list as well that you can click on. I believe it's an Instagram post, which is always, they're always laid out so well. So I, I love the convenience of Instagram posts. So the first point is to pay attention. And this can mean paying attention to a lot of things. It can mean paying attention to yourself. Like for me, it was really paying attention to myself in that conservative, more conservative church and being like, wait, like this doesn't add up. I'm like leading in other areas of life, but I'm not actually leading um, in the church. And it, it was just, it didn't make sense to me. And so having to listen to yourself. And then um, another part of that is not jumping in when you're in relationship with one another. Um, a good way of putting this to words is um, listening is not waiting for your turn to talk. So not jumping in, it's, it means that you're not just trying to um, listen for the sake of saying something, you're listening for the sake of listening. Another example is that through that listening for the sake of listening is that you are going to learn something from that person. So hopefully the goal in our community is that we can learn from one another through active listening. And then through that, we might end up doing some research on our own. Um, I know for me, I listened to different voices and had to realize that there was actually a vast number of different voices on Christianity, on theology, on so many different things that I needed to expand outside of my echo chamber and see what else there was there and what people were saying. Um, and then also, this is probably the hardest part for a lot of us, and that's being prepared to change our ideas. I think especially in the church, there's that fear, there's that stigma around changing your mind. Um, but that actually is a sign of maturity, in my opinion, is, um, is when you're able to change your mind, when you're able to listen enough to realize, hey, as Brenna pointed out with her friend, like, instead of saying, yeah, I'm gonna use my power move here and just say, you know, denounce that person who spoke up in the meeting, like, you know, what did I miss? Is there something I miss? And I think that's really powerful, especially when you're in a position of power. And then finally, this is probably one of my favorites, especially if you're married or you're in a, you know, a fam family relationship or even in the church is um, reflective listening. So reflective listening or practicing reflective listening is basically when 
it's really good when you're especially missing each other, when you're really not understanding where the other person is, or you, you keep finding yourself in quarrels with someone and you're like, okay, I'm going to repeat what I think you're saying. And you're going to tell me if that's actually what you're saying. And I've often found this to be really helpful in marriage and um, also in just like working with other people. And so by repeating what someone says, you're actually um, able to understand what people are saying. And maybe you even realize, oh, maybe I missed something or maybe, um, maybe like we both are on the same page. It's just, we were saying it differently. So I always like the fuck of listening. So there you have it. We got a list of practical wisdom, something that James would be proud of because he loves practical wisdom. He's giving it to us through, um, throughout this epistle.